Welcome to the Panza Panza Forum. In the Yoruba language, the word panza is usually injected into poetry to express an uncomfortable, uncensored and inconvenient truth. The Panza Panza Forum is candid conversations about the life of African immigrants in America as it relates to their adaptation to their new home. While some may find it easy to integrate and can balance between retaining the original African culture while accepting the culture of their new home, many continue to struggle to find a balance between both worlds. Hello and welcome to Panza Panza Live. This is a podcast where we discuss the lives of African immigrants and their assimilation into Western society as they raise younger generations in a country that is quite different from their own. We also explore the experiences of children of immigrants as they balance the African and Western cultures. We present to you this informative, interesting, and expansive dialogue about the intricate experiences of African immigrants in America. Welcome to Pansa Pansa Live Podcast. I'm your host, Kemi Seriki, and today I'm having a conversation with Folashade Olatunde, a storyteller, a writer, a journalist, and a new graduate of 2022. Folashade received a bachelor's degree with honors from Lehman College, the City College of New York. And I became aware of Folashade while listening to WNYC Radio Rookie where her story was future. So welcome, Folashade, to Pansa Pansa. I really appreciate you coming to this platform to have conversation with me. And again, congratulations to you on your new achievement. I truly admire your infectious positive energy and the motivation that continue to grow and the obstacle you face, even with all that you're able to graduate with honors. I'm really very proud of you. So for many of our audience who doesn't really know you, can you fully introduce yourself? Talk a little bit about your background to our audience as to where you were born, where you spent most of your childhood and adult life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be a part of this. And my name is Falashdi Tunde. I grew up in Mott Haven, the South Bronx of the Bronx. My mom's name is Sanji Tunde. My dad's name is Bola Ariola. And my dad is Nigerian. My mom is African-American, so she was born here in America. My dad was born in Nigeria. Most of my time doing, I spent like a lot of time like going to school and writing and even working as well and helping my dad and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for that. You grew up in the Bronx, as you said, you attended Morris Academy for Collaborative Studies in the South Bronx, which was located in an area being quoted as poor neighborhood. And many public schools within the South Bronx have high rates of truancy, which often resulted in poor graduation rate. Do you think that a school culture did make a, your, your own personal school culture did make a difference when it comes to improving student attendance and graduation rate? Yes. When I went to Morris Academy for Collaborative Studies, I had the best teachers. I had the best mentors. And I feel like they prepared us for when we got out of high school. Like they always told us that when you go to college, you're on your own. Like they're not going to be 
on you like how we're on you mm -hmm. you know so like they prepared us for that and I thank them for that so much and I definitely feel like my high school just the way that we learned like how to take notes and being like aware of what's going on in society like different areas in society I learned about that in my high school and I think that that helped me yeah. to figure out who I was going to be in college. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Looking at the Bronx, the truancy rate is so high and dropout rate is also as well as high. And you talk about being bullied in school, family issues. Some of these kids come from home whereby the parents may be in a uh, shelter and they have food insecurity, housing insecurity, so many things going on. And the school able to pull through I was reading on their website that their graduation rate is up to 90%. And majority of their students go to college. So I'm so proud of that. So do you think when you were in, in high school that the staff also work on tracking your progress, exposing students to campus and all that in terms of reminding you to do your own work, reminding you to get into school on time, calling you all the time, where you could contact your, uh, your teachers from time to time without no limit. Yes, like when I remember when I was in high school, we had this thing where it was like, if you wasn't absent for a month, you would get like a little pin, like a little uh, pin that you could say I had 100% attendance for being in school mm -hmm. or being late as well was a part of that too. So if you weren't late, you would also get another pin as well. So I remember them just doing little things just to kind of prepare us for mm -hmm. like how to be on time, how to always be um, attentive to class and to communicate with your um, teachers and let them know like if something came up or if you were struggling to just let them know and to just always be in communication with them. I definitely learned that throughout high school for sure. Yeah, and it's also small size school setting in a classroom because I remember a lot of this high school, like Morris High School, like Ivanda, many of those schools, they used to be a big school whereby over 900 students, and then they cut it into small sizes whereby you have five schools within the same building so that they could pay attention and concentrate. So would you also say your small setting school system actually also helped? Yes, it did. Because there's like about four, I think there was like four different schools inside my high school. So my high school was technically kind of like the main school of Morris. And having a small school, it definitely did, like you said, give more attention to each student and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I even got the chance to like be a part of like leadership positions, like a group leader to not only help the incoming freshmen in the skills that I've learned, but it also helped me to like, fresh up on my skills and to yes. be a leader too. And I think that also helped me get to where I am today. Wow, that is so great. That You yes. see how you've been prepared from the beginning when you have a school, school staff that they are so committed into advancement of their student and they really care. And that actually makes differences in many children's life. And that's so wonderful, I'm glad. So when you were in high school, I understand you met with Michelle Obama and she <laughs> gave you a big hug and congratulates you for getting into college. How does it feel to get to meet such a powerful woman? Okay, I receive acknowledgement for your educational achievement from the first lady of the United States. 
That was amazing. I was in shock because what happened was my school, we got like an invitation to go to an event for all the seniors that were graduating from high school. And so I got to go and I happened to be in the front, which was shocking. And I was like, oh my gosh. So she was hugging everyone and she hugged me. And I was like, oh my God, Michelle Obama just had (laughs) that part. I will never forget because like, that's the first black first lady we ever had. Mm -hmm. That was very powerful. I was just like, just honored to just be in her like presence. Presence is an inspiration also. Yes. (laughs) I still don't believe that that happened. Like I still, I have to like have proof to know that it happened. (laughs) Like, (laughs) <laughs> well, CNN featured that. Okay, so yes. they actually have that outside, you know, for you. And your name was all over the CNN article regarding your achievement in school, as well as, you know, meeting Michelle Obama and the great work your school is actually doing. You know, they actually documented that. So even though you were accepted in many colleges when you graduated high school, and even though you have opportunity to go away, to college where you have to live on campus. Why did you choose to live within the city of New York and go to school within the city? So the reason why I chose to go to a school in New York is because I felt like it was more affordable. Mm -hmm. And also I didn't really have like money saved up. I came from like poverty. So it's like, I definitely didn't have money to go to these expensive schools. Like my dream school was to go to NYU. But then when I saw how much you had to pay a year, I was like, I'm going to be in debt just going there one year. So I chose to go to a school that was nearby Mm -hmm. and also something that I could afford, especially because my college, I didn't have to pay for school. It was like the financial aid they paid for Mm -hmm. it. So Mm -hmm. I got financial aid. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That is so great. You mentioned that in terms of uh, student debt, which is what is actually affecting so many graduates now. Yep. Because when you have to come out of school with $150,000 student debt, or you coming out with 50, 75, and then you continue to work after graduation and pay that off. I think United States needs to do a better job in looking at why do you have to actually, I will call it enslave students who are coming out of college to enslave them with so much student debt that they have to pay for. And one thing that I found out because I have two children who also graduated school that it's a lot of work, it's a lot of information that is needed because there's so many other schools too that they understand, especially being the first generation, that they will actually give it to you for free to go to those schools whereby, yes, you have to go away, but they actually, certain scholarship actually assign on the side for those students. But sometimes when you lack resources in a school, it's very difficult for them to tap into all this extra that is beneficial for so many children who are in another privileged environment or their parents happen to be college graduate themselves and they know how to navigate through that system. So happy that you mentioned that, but you know what? That's not the end of everything because I'm still looking at you. You're going to go further. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, I want to. Now I got the bachelor's. It's like I now I'm like I want to get my master's, and who knows? Maybe my PhD too. Yes, 
Graduate yes. school. Graduate school. We're gonna work on that together. <laughs> yes. I don't know where I don't know what school I'll go to, but I'll figure it out along yes. the way. Yes, yes, yes. So you are the first to graduate college in your family. How does it feel like to be the first uh, generation college graduate within your family? It feels so amazing to be the first graduate of my family, especially between my mom and my dad. Yeah. My mom only had a high school diploma and my dad only had a high school diploma. And I always encourage my mom. I always be like, mom, you should go back to school. You should go back to school. Like telling her, like, if I could do it, you could do it too. And it just feels good because I'm like motivating. I feel possibly that I'm motivating other family members to want to further their education. Mm -hmm. Because with education, there is a sense of freedom too. Yes, yes, an opportunity because nobody will ever take that degree away from you. It's yours and your name is on it. If a job that you're doing that is not satisfactory, you can move somewhere else. That's right. You say, you know what? I have my bachelor's degree in journalism and uh, sociology. Now I want to go to law school or I want to do other things that is completely different. That is kind of freedom. And I'm glad that mindset, I mean, mindset to be able to say, you know what? The sky is the limit. That's right. I have so many things to do for myself. And and I'm so proud of that. You know, thank you. How was it for you when you were in college, while you were in college? Would you say you have helped through all that difficult times in college? Who were your support system while you were in college? Because to be the first generation, you have to navigate through that system by yourself. That's right. Uh And nobody to guide you to actually call and say, how do do I go about this or do I go about? So who were your connection at that time? Those people who actually involved and motivate you and help you out so when I first started college right I started at York College right Mm -hmm. and I was a part of the SEEK program so I got like an advisor and I think the SEEK program because they helped me like they offered free tutoring they offered an advisor that you would speak to at least two times out of the semester and that's what also helped me to succeed And then when I transferred to Lehman, I had another advisor and that also helped me. And then I also had the opportunity to meet Jamie Floyd, who is a journalist Mm -hmm. for over 20 something years. And she became my mentor and she guided me into where I am right now. And then I met Carolina doing Radio Rookies and she helped me. And then just like the professors that I met at Lehman, they Mm -hmm. also helped me. When I felt like I couldn't do it, they always encouraged me like you could do it. There were many moments with all the stuff that I've been through where I just kind of wanted to give up. Mm -hmm. But I always had like an advisor or a mentor or somebody just telling me, even my mom, just telling me to just keep going. And that's so powerful. And one thing with this podcast that I always do, because you came from a two powerful background, African-American, the African. And one thing that I see with a lot of you, you've been in African household, there's a connection with the parents in terms of not speaking up, not going through tapping resources that may be available because they feel like I don't want to bother anybody too much and all those stuff. So I'm so happy that you able to connect with others. And that's what you, how you get help. Because you see that motivation in you. And they want to help because you reach out and you reach out to people from different backgrounds. It doesn't matter. That's right. That's right. 
And many people might say, oh, you know, I don't want to reach out to these people. They might reject me because I'm black or this and that and everything. But you just have to reach out and see. But how do you, even during college time, how did you advocate for yourself also? The way I advocated for myself is like, I remember when I would go to my advisor, I would always be like, is there um, tutors? Because I was struggling in like math Mm -hmm. and science classes. So I would reach out, like always see what opportunities were available, like whether it was a writing tutor or a math tutor or science tutor, I would try to go as much as I could. Even when I was taking Spanish, I went to tutoring and that also helped me. So tutoring was one of the things. And then also just kind of like asking your advisor, like I'm looking for jobs, like where do I go? Like I would go to like the career services in my college and they'll help you with your resume and lead you to different places to apply for jobs. And like, I would just look for resources around my school and ask people that work in the school how I could get help. Yeah, and you learn to advocate for yourself. And I'm glad that you brought all this up because other people may be listening to this. It could be of benefit to them and say, this is how I have to navigate through. Even at your high school also prepare you kind of yep. with your mom. All that combination actually gets you to navigate through the college environment. So your major is in journalism and you minor in sociology and Africana studies. And I think this combination is a road to successful career in journalism. And can you talk about your specialization and the reason for choosing this area of studies? So, okay. When I started college, right, I was like, oh, I want to do journalism. But let me tell you, I was struggling a little bit when I started journalism. I was like, oh, my God, I didn't feel like a good writer at all. Mm -hmm. So I was like fighting myself. I was like, should I do journalism or should I do social work or should I do theater? Like, I just didn't feel good enough. So then finally, I knocked some sense into my head and I was like, just try it. And if it doesn't work out, at least you can say you did it. You got through it. Yes. So I did it. And yes. then sociology, I took one class at York College. The professor was named Ashley Burnell. Yes. And let me tell you, when I took her class, I was so inspired every class. I was telling everyone about her. Yes. I was like, oh my God, sociology just wakes you up. So mm-hmm. what's going mm-hmm. on in society? Mm-hmm. And then sociology led me to Africana studies and it mm-hmm. made me want to learn more about me and who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, you know what? I should just put all of these together because <laughs> I love all of these three topics. So I was like, hey, let's do it. That's, that's right. You that's just, what I did. You, you just, and you see how a professor make a difference. That's right. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm so happy that you didn't say that because it's difficult for you as a writer, because not everybody would be a perfect writer when you're in college. It's a different way of writing. That's right. So you just have to work on that. And you're able to tap into your resources all over the place. And you found a professor who is so good and expand your mind into other things. That's right. And I know you said you're going to write your own book, and I can't wait to read it. And you're a reader which I really admire about you because I always have a quote for people to be a writer. You have to be a reader. That's right. So it is so important. And that's how you get your ideas, you know, stimulating thoughts and everything. So it is so good that you are on the right path. And I know you already said you are planning and advancing your career later, maybe going to grad school. 
Yes. Becoming a professor. Ooh, and yes. combining with journalism. That would be great. <laughs> I never thought of that. Oh my yes. God. Wow. That would be so amazing. I never it thought would of be that. Amazing to combine journalism and also be a professor. That's because right. what actually happened, let's assume you specialize in sociology or African studies, and you mm. also have a degree in journalism. They will call, contact you all the time, like CNN and all these other people will contact you to have an input into that's certain topics. That's right. And that's, that's the combination of that. So who are your present mentor or your role model in the field of journalism? My present role model is Jamie Foyt because... She's literally been in the business for over 20 something years yes. and she studied law and yes. she's all, and she happens to be my mentor. You, so see, that, you see our own combination with your combination <laughs> with what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, it's crazy. Like I didn't realize how that would all come together. Like yes. I didn't, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't know who she was mm -hmm. before meeting her. But then when I met her, I started studying her which she doesn't know, but I started like learning <laughs> stuff about her. And I was like, oh my God, I just met a famous journalist. <laughs> I'm so in shock. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's crazy. Oh my God. So uh, anyway, among other African-American female journalists who are, or who may be other role models, I know about uh, Abiola Abrams. Uh, you know, I know about Shade Bolaniwa. Oh, yes. Yeah, Tamra O. April Ryan, you know, she actually corresponded with White House. She was a journalist, African-American. You know, she's always there. She's one of those people that Trump can't stand. <laughs> you know, so. Mm -hmm. And there's so many Black women in this area. And even many women, whether Black or white, who could also, you know, be your role model. And I'm so glad that you have a mentor already. And that is so powerful and they will guide you to the right path. So are you working for Radio Rookie now? So I started Radio Rookies last July and I ended um, this year in March. So okay. right now I got a job at the Osborne Association as a part-time worker, which is like an organization that helps people and children that are affected by incarceration. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy how I got this opportunity because I remember I was trying to look for someone to interview for my school's capstone. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting a job offer with also getting an interview. So that was powerful. That was powerful. Yeah, that was powerful. And that brings me to your relationship with WNYC because WNYC is one of the stations that I listen to daily. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I listen to it every day. I don't watch TV during the week. The radio is on. That's right. Uh-huh. So WNYC is my radio. And I'm familiar with Radio Rookie because they usually play it in the morning. <laughs> Early yep. in the morning when yeah, around six o'clock. That's when I wake up, you know, and I hear the student actually presenting. It's one of my favorite shows on public radio where students talk about their experiences. For many who may not know about it, can you educate our audience? What is Radio Rookie? And how did you get into to be nominated to participate in the program? 
So Radio Rookies is a part of WNYC and it's an opportunity for young teens and also young adults to be able to learn the techniques and skills of how to be a journalist, whether it's being a reporter or creating a podcast. Like they just give you the skills and the necessities mm-hmm. to um, succeed in journalism yeah. um, or in media. Mm-hmm. And the way that I got the opportunity, I got the opportunity from Jamie Floyd, my mentor. Mm-hmm. She told me, like, you should apply for Radio Rookies. And so I applied. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> but I am so happy that I got myself into it. <laughs> Seriously. Because I was like, wow, this is a lot. This is a lot. I don't know if I am ready for it. But then again, it's called Radio Rookies. Okay. So I'm a rookie. So I'm happy that I did it. I'm so happy about that. I'm so happy about that. So on Radio Rookie, I want to bring you to a sensitive topic. On Radio Rookie, you talk about your relationship with your father, who is presently serving time in prison for illegal drug conviction. If it's okay with you, would you like to talk about your relationship with your father, how you have tried to rebuild your connection with him? Yes, I am okay with talking about it. Okay. So my dad, he was arrested when I was two years old. I don't really remember when it happened, but they broke into our house. My mom told me they broke into our house and I was in my bed sleeping and the police took me out of my bed, put handcuffs on my dad and my mom. My mom said she remembers me just crying. Growing up, it's like I didn't really know, like I didn't really understand the prison system. So I was just like, oh, this is just how it is. You just can't see your your dad. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when I got older, like now, I start to really realize, wow, this is the cause of a lot of my trauma. Yes. It hasn't been an easy journey because I would visit my dad from age two all the way until like age, I would say maybe age 12. Mm-hmm. And then we stopped. And mm-hmm. then I hadn't seen my dad for like, 12 years, I just recently visited him again last year for the first time. And it was really hard for me because I had to go into the prison by myself. Mm. And it was just really scary. Like it just brought back a lot of trauma that I buried. I didn't realize how my dad being in prison really affected me because I always used to say it didn't affect me, Mm. but now I'm realizing that it did. And seeing my dad, from when I was a little girl is so different than seeing him now because when I see him, he's not the same. He's not mentally himself. And it's like, I don't know what to do. And it's hard to have a relationship with my dad because we don't really communicate. He doesn't really tell me, like I'll ask him questions about like his experience being in prison and even his experience before prison, what led him to make these choices. And I just feel like, He just doesn't want to tell me his story. And it's also like, I feel like he doesn't want to get to know me and my struggles, Yeah, you know? So it's just kind of hard to have that relationship with him. And so that's why right now we're just not talking, which is, it bothers me every single day. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is so painful. And I understand even how you may be feeling. I could only say I understand because it's not something that I experienced. But I've read so many books regarding when you go and visit someone in prison, the process you have to go through, going in, being searched, you know, strip search, 
all the way down to make sure that you are not bringing any contraband into the prison. It's scary and it's traumatic experience that you went through. I'm so sorry that you had to go through all that in order to connect with him. So when you were visiting him uh, around the age of two, that your mom used to take you there. And your mom, what will I say? I really give her credit for doing that because she really understand that you needed to connect with him. Because if it yep. been another woman, she would have said, I don't want my children in that environment. But she understood that this child needs to connect with the father, even though he's in the prison, he's still for Lashade's father. And I want her to continue to go there and connect with him and build a relationship with him. So all that, those times that you were visiting him, how was the relationship when you were two all the way to 12 years old when you stopped visiting? When I would visit my dad, I felt like a very deep connection to him. Like, I remember he would, like, throw me in the air. Oh. Like, when we were leaving, it would be like a little thing. He'll just pick me up and throw me in the air. And I remember him, like, it's so crazy now because, like, when I'm older, I tell him, I remember you told me that you wanted me to be a lawyer. Mm. And he doesn't remember that now. But I remember him just saying, like, your education is extremely important yeah. to get your education. He put that very much in me. And he was also very big on religion as well. Yeah. So I just remember connecting with him with like writing. Like I remember one time when we were in the prison, he would like try to teach me how to write a good essay. And he would always tell me to like read books and to just stay educated. Yes. And that's so powerful, you know. And like you said, he's going through so much himself. He's not himself. I don't know, maybe he felt that he really disappointed you as a father because I'm not trying to make excuses for him or find something to say, but I'm just trying to see from that perspective on the other end. So it is such a sad situation. When you stop visiting him at uh, the age of 12, why did you stop at that time? So my mom and my dad were married before I was born. And so it was becoming a lot for her after the 10 years. And I think that she just thought like he would have been out at that time. And so they got a divorce. She ended up stopped visiting him. Mm -hmm. So I ended up having no one to really take me up there because I was young. At that time, I don't think that you could come into the prison without your parent. Yes. And then also my mom had like a real, her car at the time that she had, it was really bad. So she couldn't like put too much mileage on the car or we would get stuck there. Yeah. So that was also the reason why I didn't go up there. I didn't really have like a family member that could like take me up there or even offered to take me up there. Yeah. Oh, wow. But believe me, I thought about my dad through all of those years. I've thought about him and I contacted him as much as I could. Mm -hmm. It was not easy. Like, I know some people be like, it's so simple to write a letter, but sometimes you just don't know what to say. Yeah. Because you just don't know that parent. Like, you just don't know. Like I said in the Radio Rookies, like, I feel like I didn't know a part of myself. Like, I just don't know my dad. Mm -hmm. He's like a stranger. Yeah, because he was two years old and only when he left and only when you go and visit him in that closed environment and spend only maybe few, I don't even know whether it's an hour that they allow people to go in and come out. 
And then the process of even going in with your mom, like I said, the search, the all kinds of things that you have to go through the process, door slamming <laughs> in front of a child. And then the keys, the big heavy keys with the handcuffs and all that stuff. It's so traumatic for a child to see that. I, I wish they could make the prison system more humane. Yep. It could be a place whereby it's more, even though somebody did something wrong and a fault in society, does not mean that they have to be treated like an animal because they are still human beings. You know, that's when the prison advocate comes in and they actually fighting against that. But it's a system that you really, it takes a lot of work to fight something that has been in place for years and they're used to those kind of environments. You could hear recently they talk about Rikers. They talk about all these places whereby prisoners are being treated very badly and it's not really well managed. That's right. Yeah, it's such a sad situation. And I know it was a devastating sight to see your dad in such a state of mind, both physically, as emotionally, as well as mentally, trying to connect with somebody and get to know him. His negative responses affect your relationship with him will affect the way you're supposed to connect with him. He may not understand it. So how are you addressing your own emotional health yourself? How are you addressing it? So the way that I'm addressing it is by going to therapy. Recently, I tried to start like meditating a bit more because sometimes you're just going, going, going and you forget to stop and breathe. Yes. So I've been just focusing on that and just trying to focus on getting my mind together because my mind's all over the place. Yes. Like now I just try to like focus on taking care of my mental health Mm -hmm. because I know that it hasn't been good because I've been hospitalized. I had a mental breakdown. So that's definitely a point where I realized that there was something going on with Mm -hmm. me. That's also when I realized that maybe my dad may have the same issue as me too. So I definitely go to therapy and see a doctor, do meditation and just do self-care things. Yes, I'm so happy that you are taking care of yourself. You know, your mental health is very, very important. And you're already doing that because without that, look at where you are today. Yes. With all those challenges that you faced while you were in college, you still made it through. That's right. On honor roll. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> it is to be proud of. Thank you. Because no matter what, that shows that there's so much light shining through your way. There's an African proverb that says, however a tree may be tall, it will never stop sun from shining. Yes. I love that. It's powerful. And that light is actually, that sun is shining on you. Amen. And it will never dim. It will continue to shine. Because you have a story to tell and you have a bright career ahead of you. And I know you're going to make it through that. Thank you so much. Your story will be able to be powerful for other ones who are coming behind. Who may also experience the same thing that you struggle with. And you will be a role model and a good example for you. So what has this experience taught you about self-discovery and connecting with your roots? How do you define yourself for Lashade or Latunde, despite your father's lack of connection with you? 
What I've learned through this experience mm-hmm. is that it's important to take care of yourself yes. because when you let go of taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. everything falls apart. And taking care of yourself is taking care of your mental health. Yes. It's listening to all the skills and techniques that you can get, whether it's doing yoga, meditation, working out, yes. eating healthy, reading a good book, or just having a day to just be silent with yourself. Yes. You I know, listen to music too. Yes, have a little dance party if you want. You know, by yourself. <laughs> That's right. You know, or watch your favorite little movie or show. I just learned that the little things that sometimes we think don't matter are the things that can help lift us up. And even just writing in your journal or writing in your phone about your day is powerful. And I learned that although right now me and my dad are having a rocky relationship, I do have hope that my dad will become the person that I know he is. Mm -hmm. And I'm just doing what I have to do to make him proud. Even though he might not see it the way I see it, but I just feel like through this experience, it just made me realize that when you take care of yourself, the people around you will be like, oh, wait, maybe I should do that too. And it just starts this chain reaction. Yes, yes. Yeah, you are are inspiration, even not for your age group, for those younger and those older that that could be your parents. That's right. I love to use proverbs. They say one has has to watch the other. And it doesn't matter. So you learn from people and other people also learn from you, no matter what age it may be. So I want to ask you, can you briefly talk about your heritage, powerful heritage that you have, African-American and a Nigerian heritage? Okay. So I'm going to talk about my Nigerian heritage. Okay. Yes. So... Being that my dad was in prison, it was very hard for me to know everything that there is of being Nigerian. But as I've gotten older, like I realized about the flags and I know some people would say, oh, you don't speak the language. I know I should speak the language, but I definitely in the future would love to learn the language because it is a part of my roots. Yes. So connecting with being Nigerian, it's been a journey because it's like my dad's not near me 24-7 or Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to be with me 24-7, but I didn't really know like the the culture as much. So now that I'm older, I'm willing to expose myself to the culture. And then with my mom being African-American, I would say like, it's similarities like I feel like the food is very soul food like mm-hmm. each of the foods like I've eaten fufu and I've eaten to I, I forgot if, what fish it is it's it's an African fish that I eat then with my mom it's like I'll eat fried chicken or macaroni or uh, collard greens you know stuff pork chops stuff like that so I definitely see like how it's a connection I definitely feel that it's like one in um one mm-hmm. like culture in one and what's so crazy is I actually just took a DNA test mm-hmm. with 23 and me mm-hmm. and I found out that my mom has some Nigerian in her too you see because, yes I'm 70 percent Nigerian oh why <laughs> so I'm like clearly my mom like come on my mom has to be Nigerian and I'm gonna qualify that 
You are yes. not just Nigeria. You are Yoruba. You yes. are Yoruba. Okay. <laughs> uh -huh. So I'm going to qualify that, that you are Yoruba because Yoruba heritage is very powerful. Yes. Okay. It is very powerful. So how would you, before I go into that also, how would you summarize your identity as it relates to your dual identity, African-American and Nigeria? How do you call, what do you call yourself? So at first I used to just say African-American because it made sense to me. Like my mom's American mm -hmm. and black American and my dad is African but now I just say African because at the end of the day although my mom was born here mm -hmm. her roots will always go back to Africa mm -hmm. and my dad's roots of course goes back to Africa mm -hmm. so at the end of the day I'm just African you know what I'm saying and the DNA test proves it like I have 93 percent of African in me with the 70% Nigerian and then other like Ghana and all those other cultures. So I would say that I am African. Like okay. that's okay. it. That's yeah. good. That's good. Because also, you know, when you're talking about going in deep into the language, don't feel bad about it because many of our African immigrant children born here or brought here at a very young age don't even speak the language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Many don't speak the language and of course they appreciate the culture in terms of, you know, some of them understand it. They eat the food, they put on the outfit when there's necessity for it, they do all that. And when you are ready to learn the language, there's so many other venues that you could use in learning Yoruba language. Actually, on my podcast, I interviewed one young lady who actually based in London and she does Yoruba lesson, is online. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Uh huh. So, no. if you go on a, a, a YouTube Yoruba lesson, you will see she the pronunciation. She explained what words means. She's doing something regarding the Yoruba culture, like the wedding, the this and that, and everything. She even now taking the first group that she's going to take to Nigeria. I think it's this year that they're going to explore Nigeria to just visit. So you might connect with her. And I will be willing to give you our information after the we finish talking. That would be amazing. And you know, I've never been to Nigeria, never been to Africa. And that's one of the dreams I would love to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like for you to connect with this young lady. So for Lashade, you come from two powerful heritages, African American, Nigeria, specifically, I said the Yoruba heritage. I just want to tell you the Yoruba. They are very rich culture. It's a very rich culture, Yoruba, as it relates to our language, our traditional religion, art, music, and dance. We are one of the largest ethnic group in Nigeria, yeah. and as well as in Africa. Yoruba are not only within Nigeria. They are in Togo. They are in Benin. They are in Brazil, Cuba, Trinidad, Tobago, and South Carolina. Wow. Okay. So just for you to know, so it's a very rich culture. We are very sociable people. We are very expressive when it comes to celebrating events such as wedding. When you see those YouTube wedding videos and dressing up, <laughs> many of them are Yoruba people. When it comes to wedding, when it comes to naming ceremony, housewarming, you know, even funeral, you know, we are very sociable people. So even though your dad may not be present in your life, I hope it will never debar you from not embracing who you are 
and the tradition that produces such a beautiful young woman both in and out. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> oh my God, so powerful. Thank you. Continue to research your heritage. Continue to dip into your African-American heritage as well as Nigerian Yoruba heritage because that's what makes you who you are. Amen. And on those backgrounds, you feel empowered all the time. And I really appreciate, you know, you talking to me today. And I know you're going to continue with the research, right? Yes, of course. Of <laughs> course. I, it's my hobby. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> How is the job for you? The Osborne Association? Osborne Association, yeah. Yes, the Osborne Association, I really enjoy it. I feel like it's an organization that helps families that have incarcerated, whether it's a family member or a child or some, it gives them help and support. And I'm right now, I'm a fellowship leader. So I'll be running a program and basically doing like media work, like whether make a podcast or just basically give kids or um, young adults the opportunity to share their stories in whatever they feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about this. And I feel like this is possibly my passion. <laughs> yes, that's I'm why, excited. Yes, that's right. You know, because I don't even think I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts. I've not come across a podcast that focuses on children who their parents are in prison, how they are handling and dealing with the situation on the outside. That's right. Yes, I haven't come across and that would be very unique. Please start this as soon as possible. I will. I hopefully we could make like a documentary or something. If not a documentary, a podcast. A podcast. Yeah. You know, because there's so many children you could talk to. That's right. Who actually have parents in prison and even the population of children who are born in prison as well. When you go to women prison, women who have been locked up and they have a child, and then what happens after? Who takes care of those children after they bring them out of the prison? Do, do the family member take care of them or other people of the community also take care of them? You know, so those are kind of the conversation. I think it would be so powerful when you start that podcast, you know. Does your dad have any family member in the uh, United States? So he did have a sister. But I am not in contact with her. Okay. And I and believe it or not, that's the only family member I know. Mm-hmm. Everyone else I don't know. I've and it was crazy is I've never met his mom or his dad because they lived in Nigeria and they both passed away. Mm-hmm. So I don't know anyone and I can't get in contact with his sister. It's complicated. But yeah. Yeah. But you know what? There's always people around. That's know, right. Able to connect, even though sometimes we might, it, it's so sad sometimes when we cannot connect with people who are blood related. But many times other people step in. You see all the people stepping in your way. That's right. All the way to where you are today. Because right. you are also as open to receive. You are not close. You're willing to receive. And they came into your life. And more will continue to come in and empower you. Thank so, you. So how can a listener connect with you? If they want to connect with you online. So you could follow me on my Instagram at planetfulala, which is P-L-A-N-E-T-F-O-L-A-L-A. Mm-hmm. Um, that's for Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then 
for Facebook, it's my name, Falashade Olatunde, which is F-O-L-A-S-H-A-D-E-O-L-A-T-U-N-D-E. Thank you so much, Falashade, for coming in today to have a conversation with me. So Pansa Pansa continue to normalize conversation about importance of community engagement, about African immigrant experience, issue of race identity within our community. As I always say, as we publicly continue to discuss issue, difficult conversation within our community, we're shredding away stigma associated with uncomfortable dialogue. I really want to thank you for Lashadi Olatunde for your generosity, your vulnerability in sharing your experience with me and those who may, your story may empower. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ponza Ponza Live Podcast. We hope to have you back with us in the next episode as we continue to explore the nuances of the African immigrant experience. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at talk at ponsaponsa.org. That is T-A-L-K at P-A-N-S-A, P-A-N-S-A dot org. And follow us on Instagram at ponsa.ponsaforum. Until next time, remember to spread kindness and love. Thank you and take care of yourselves.